Well, this week, as I said, we're picking up in the story of Gideon. So a little bit of a review uh, to where we're at historically. A little over 200 years have passed since Moses led the people out of the promise into uh, out of Egypt and into uh, the promised land. About 150 years have passed since Joshua led them in the conquest of the promised land. Now, at this particular point in the story, for the past seven years or so, the Amalekites and the Midianites had been oppressing the people of Israel. They've been coming in at harvest time and just wiping everything out, stealing all their crops. And if you flip back to chapter 6, verse 1, the reason is given for us because the people of Israel had been doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And remember, we looked at that passage in Judges chapter 2 where God told them why he would leave this remnant to test the people of Israel to see whether they really were going to trust in God or not. Well, at this point, they're not. And so God brings these people against them in hopes of turning their hearts back to him. And if you remember from last week, that's exactly what they did. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord sends a prophet to them. And the prophet reminds them of God's faithfulness. He reminds them that he is their God. And he rebukes them because they had not been doing what God had told them to do. So then we looked at the next piece of the story. God himself visits Gideon. And he calls Gideon this mighty man of valor. And he tells Gideon that by Gideon's hand, he will deliver Israel from these Amalekites and Midianites that had been coming in and ravaging the land. And we went through this contrast of how Gideon viewed himself versus how God viewed himself. Gideon viewed himself by looking at his circumstances around him. And he based his hope on what he saw. And you can imagine he was pretty hopeless because what he saw was not hopeful. God turned all that around. He transformed his entire way of thinking. And God defined Gideon by his ability and by who God would, had called Gideon to be and how God would work in and through his life. That's how God defined Gideon. So we left off the last passage that we looked at. Gideon has just offered up an offering unto the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord, and the peace of God has filled him. So we're up to that point right now where God has worked in Gideon's heart to the point he's ready to take action. And that's what we see in these verses. So verse 25 starts with that same night. This is the same night that Gideon uh, worshipped the Lord and, and and was filled with the peace of God. Now he's ready to go out and be obedient to God. So we pick up in verse 25 and we see Gideon's first act of faith. So this act of faith is, is a command from God that's very clearly described in these verses, in verses 25 and 26. God gives Gideon a very clear set of instructions. So he tells him in verse 25, Take your father's bulls, pull down the altar of Baal, cut down the Asherah that's beside it, build an altar to the Lord of stones, and then offer that second bull as an offering using the wood from the Asherah that he, that he had tore down, this Asherah pole. So God's instructions to Gideon, his, his first act of faith, if you will, that he asked him to do, is to begin with removing all idol worship from the area. So this altar of Baal and this Asherah were um, worship practices to the gods of the false gods of the Canaanites who were in the area before the Israelites got here. And 
they, the people who lived there before the Israelites came into that land, they would use these altars to worship these false gods. We don't know how long these altars had been there. The, the, the story doesn't tell us. But God calls Gideon to remove them. And I, and I was struck by this passage because if you just read through it quickly, you kind of miss a couple of things. I want us to think about this area and what was happening on this, this little hilltop was completely dedicated to false idols and dedicated to worshiping them. God comes in, calls Gideon to tear all that down and completely transform it. And if you'll notice, it's the exact same piece of ground and all of the same things that were there before, but now they've been transformed and they're being used for the Lord. Because the bull that tore down the altar and the pole is used to offer up that bull. And I was thinking about our own lives and the transformation that's happened in us. See, before Jesus saved us, our entire lives were focused on idol worship. Everything we did was to consume on our own passions, our own desires, and the things of the world and what the world has to offer. The outside physical tent has stayed the same, but God has completely transformed the inside. We're brand new, and we're supposed to be focused on living for the Lord. The, the New Testament even calls us living sacrifices. That's what we're supposed to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says that, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's a picture of exactly what we are in our lives. And that's what we see happening here. This place that was a place of idol worship is now dedicated to the Lord. And Gideon offers up a dedication to the Lord in that spot. So, in verse 27, I want us to take a look at that passage because what we see here is we see obedience in the face of fear. So, the end of the verse says that because Gideon was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do this by day, he did this act by night. So, even though he's fearful, though, don't lose sight of the beginning of that verse. Because in the beginning of the verse, it says, he did as the Lord had told him. So Gideon was obedient, doing exactly what God had told him to do, even though he was fearful. Gideon realized the danger. He knew the reaction of his family and of the men of the town. But he was obedient. In the face of that fear, and we're going to see later it's a real fear, he was obedient. He was confident and bold enough to go and do what God said. And more than that, he led 10 men with him. So he was so confident and bold that they saw, I'm sure they probably saw that leadership and confidence in him and they followed him to go help him do this task. So he was given clear instructions. He was faced with fear, yet he was obedient. So we could probably see a parallel to our own lives, right? We've been given clear instructions, haven't we? They're right here. We're supposed to fear God above the fear of man. And many of us ask, have probably been asked that question. How do you overcome fear? How do you worry and focus more about what God wants and less on what people around you want? How can you be bold? You know, when the Lord prompts you to say something and that fear comes over you and you get quiet. Well, we see this pattern laid out right before us in Gideon. 
How did Gideon overcome this fear? Well, walk the path that he walked up to this point. He was convinced that God alone was God. We looked at that last week. He was confident that God had called him. He trusted in how God had gifted him. Remember, he called himself the least in his family. So he wasn't a leader before this point, but now he is. He trusted that gifting. And he took steps of obedience. And then his faith was increased. So this is the formula for us to overcome that fear. We have to be convinced that God alone is God. We have to be confident that he has, in fact, called us. We have to trust in how he has gifted us. And we have to take steps of obedience. And then our faith is increased. And then we just repeat that process again and again and again. And little by little, your faith keeps inching up and up and up because it's all about God. And you realize that. And that's what we see happening to Gideon. Remember, this was a guy who was hiding in a wine press, pressing out wheat because he was afraid of the people around him. And now he's bold enough to be obedient to God to go out and tear down this altar. So in verses 28 through 32, we see the reaction of the town when they wake up in the morning and realize that their altar is gone. And as we work through this passage, there's a couple of things I want to point out. So we read through it, but in verse 28, the, the people wake up in the morning, they realize the altar's gone. And in verse 29, they start an inquiry to see who did this thing, who's responsible. In verse 30, when they discover it's Gideon, they seek to kill him. So the first thing I want to point out, remember verse 27 said that Gideon was fearful. Well, that, that fear was real, right? This, this was a real fear he had. He wasn't imagining something that might happen to him. If his act of obedience very well could have and probably would have cost him his life had not God moved in the way that he moved. So again, it, in the face of real fear, who are we trusting? Gideon trusted the Lord. We're encouraged to do the same thing. The other thing I want us to notice is in verse 31. The reaction of his father. So remember, whose altar was this? It was his father's altar. So this was his dad's altar, meaning that his dad was a worshiper of Baal. I mean, you can put together the pieces here. So this Baal worshiper wakes up in the morning too. This mob probably came to his house or his property, and they want to kill his son for this, and his response is amazing. Rather than being upset or angry or joining the mob, his response is, hey, if, if Baal is really a god, let him contend for himself. So he's transformed from this Baal worshiper to, hmm, well, maybe that isn't even real. And even the point of defending his son. I don't think there's any question that we can see God working in this process and the text doesn't really describe how this all worked out between the father and the son. But think about how God used the obedience, the testimony, and the faith of Gideon to bring about this change. I mean, certainly if Gideon hadn't been obedient, hadn't been faithful, there wouldn't even have been an opportunity for the change because the altar would still be there. So through that process, it's amazing. Gideon was fearful. Gideon obeyed, God preserved Gideon. That's clearly what we see happening in the text. And more than that, 
An entire town that was caught up in idol worship is now stopped dead in its tracks. Their altar's gone. And you can imagine what's happening in their hearts. And later we're going to learn that the town responds and follows Gideon. So I'm sure the transformation continues. So Gideon obeys the Lord. The idols are removed. And Gideon's faith, obedience, and boldness bring about a transformation not only in his own life that we've seen, they bring about a transformation in his father, and they start that transformation of the people in the entire town. God has gifted each one of us. The Bible's clear about that. Each one of us as believers is gifted. God has called each one of us. When we trust in the Lord and we take these obedient steps of faith like Gideon is taking here, we see these kind of results around us. We ourselves are transformed. Those nearest to us, our family members are transformed. And those that are surrounded around us are also transformed. All of that happens as we walk in obedience to the Lord. And they see in us the presence of the Lord. It, it has this transforming process. So we're supposed to trust in him and go and do as he's called us to do just like we see Gideon doing here. Now, while all this is happening, keep in mind, the enemy hasn't gone away. Remember, these Midianites and Amalekites have been harassing and plundering and invading the land for the past seven years. So in verses 33 through 35, we, we turn away from the people of Israel and we look reminded of this enemy that surrounds them. For seven years, they've been raiding Israel, destroying their land, stealing their harvest. And we know that at this particular time, it's harvest time, because when we started our story, Gideon was in the wine press beating out the wheat. So it's harvest time. The enemy knows that. It's time to go and get their free food. Time to come in and invade Israel again, steal all their crops, and just ravage the land. So this, this group comes in, in verse 33, it says, Now all the Midianites and Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan, and they camp in this valley of Jezreel. This passage doesn't tell us how many people that is, but if you skip ahead to chapter 8, verse 10, it says there that there's about 135,000 men in the army that invaded. So picture this scene, 135,000 invade the land and they're in this valley 135,000 people spread out is a lot of people so if you're Gideon you know that God has called you to go and conquer all these people right now you have no army all you've done is tore down an altar you know no one is raised up around you he's got 10 guys at this point is all we know of that are following him and it's interesting to look at Gideon's response in verse 34. He sounds the trumpet, and the Bezerites, which were his clan, were called out to follow him. And then he sends messengers throughout Manasseh, which is part of the tribe that he belonged to. And they were called out to follow him. And then these messengers go to other tribes, Asher, Zebulun, and Nephtali, and they are called out to meet him. So... For seven years, these people had been invading the land and conquering them and, and taking everything that they owned. And now all of a sudden, they're emboldened to the point 
to actually raise up an army and try and resist them. How is that possible? Well, a couple of things are happening here. Remember, we looked at chapter 6, verse 6. It says, the people of Israel cried out to help for the Lord. We also looked at the fact that they had tore down this false idol that they had created for themselves. So the people's hearts are starting to turn back to the Lord. And we see the result here. They're encouraged to actually go and be obedient to the Lord. We also see something amazing happening in Gideon as well. I, pr I purposely kind of skipped over the beginning of verse 34. But if you look there in chapter 6, the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Amazing what we see happening here. So remember, none of his circumstances have really changed. The enemy is still all around him. He has no army. He's got no training. He's not equipped to go and fight all these 135,000 who have invaded the land. But he knows that God has called Gideon. He's con God has confirmed that call. God has gifted Gideon. He's encouraged Gideon. And he's clothed him with the Spirit of God. Now, as we sit here today, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work, this is a picture of you as well. These same things are true of you. You've been called. God has confirmed that call. You've been gifted. You've been encouraged. And you've been filled with the Holy Spirit to go out and do what you've been called to do. We sit in the same place. The same thing is available to us. We are supposed to be out there sounding the trumpet as he leads us going forth. And that's what we're going to see Gideon do. Now, this next passage is, is interesting. Uh, verses 36 through 40. I, I've titled this section, Another Confirmation. How many of us have, have heard of putting a fleece before the Lord? Most of us have heard that. Here's where it comes from, right here, these passages. Now, entire books, sermons, messages have focused on these verses right here. But I want us to look at them in contrast, in, in context to what's happening in our story. As I said, this is just another confirmation that God provides for Gideon. And I want us to look at the context of the confirmation as, as we go through this. So God uses this as just another way to encourage Gideon to follow him more and to trust in him more. So... As we enter verse 36, we, we see the passage. We're going to work through it in a second. But I want us to think about what's happened up to this point. Up to this point, Gideon has faithfully obeyed what God asked him to do every step of the way. We've seen that. He believed God. He believed his calling that he had been given and the message that God had given him. And we saw him, we've seen him take deliberate acts that proved that he believed what God had said. He obeyed God. God told him to tear down the altar. He tore down the altar. <clears throat> he also obeyed God when the army gathered together and he sounded the trumpet. Remember, he was the one that was called to go and conquer these Midianites and Amalekites. So as soon as the army gathers, Gideon sounds the trumpet. I'm the one that's supposed to go lead him. He sounds the trumpet and he's going off to be obedient. At this point in our story, the army is already gathered the enemy army and Gideon's army. They're both already called together. So he didn't seek this fleece to wonder if he should go do that. 
That's, that wasn't the point of, of doing this. He's also worshipped God. And we know he had his hope in God because the things he's done so far were certainly nothing he could figure out how to do on his own. So he placed his trust in God and he had the peace of God. Remember he built the altar that he called peaceful unto the Lord. So this is the framework that Gideon asks for this fleece in. And so if you, if you review the pattern, it's belief, obedience, worship, hope, and peace. It's in that framework that he asks the questions. So, in verse 36, he asks the question, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying out this fleece. Verse 38, four simple words, and it was so. So God, he asked Gideon for this fleece to be wet. God did exactly what he asked. Then, in verse 39, he asks again, if you will save Israel by my hand, do this one thing again. Now he's asking for the fleece to be dry. Verse 40, and it was so. So Gideon asks, and God confirms what he's asking. But think about the process of setting out the fleece. It started with a deliberate pattern of obedience. It started with a faith in God that believes he had called Gideon that he had gifted Gideon, and that he was going to answer him. And it also started with asking according to God's will, because remember, Gideon knew that this is exactly what God wanted him to do, because God told him this is what he was going to do. So he's confirming what God had already told him he wanted to do. So, we sometimes struggle with our faith. We need encouragement. We seek encouragement. God answers this. God answers our call to seek, to be encouraged. If we're seeking for God, living after Him, we can expect God to be with us every step of the way, providing us one encouragement after another, just as what we've seen with Gideon. Remember, his encouragement started the first time when, he, when God visited him. He asked, well, if you're really God, show me your God. And he set up that altar, or that offering unto the Lord, and the Lord burned up the altar and then, you know, was taken up. So this is the second confirmation that he's given to him. So we can expect one encouragement after another. And the idea is that God wants to make us bold go, to go and do what he's called us to do. He wants to stir up the gifts that he's given us and help us to walk in his ways. So if you ask, is it okay to set a fleece out before the Lord? Yeah, because Gideon did. But I think we need to do it in the context that Gideon has. So remember that context that I, that I just spoke about, this pattern. If we do it in belief, if we do it in obedience, if we're worshiping the Lord, if our hope is in the Lord, and we have the peace of God, yeah, I think we can set out the fleece. But we need to do it in the way that God is directing us, and we need to do it in a way that's in accordance with His will. And then the Lord will use that to encourage us. And I'm not sure how it looks for each of us, but I know in my walk, as I've asked the Lord to provide encouragement for me, He has, if we look for those encouragements. So Gideon asked to be encouraged to go out and fight for the Lord. God provides that encouragement. I also want to notice the next thing that happens, obedience. 
Let's take a look at chapter 7. We're going to look at passages 1 through 8. So he just asked for the Lord to confirm him. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. And likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will, save, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go every man to his home. So the people took the provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the three hundred men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So this is the other part of the fleece that I want us to make sure we, we see. Once he asked for a confirmation, immediately he goes and does what it is God had said. So if you are going to set out a fleece and the Lord does answer that fleece, you better get busy because this is what we see happening here. So don't lose sight of that in our story. Now, in these passages, we see Gideon's next act of faith. Verse 1 says that all the people who are with him, they raise up and they head over toward the spring of Herod. Now, if you look at a map, the spring of Herod would have been about two to three miles away from the enemy camp. So, picture the scene Gideon has with him, according to verse 3, about 32,000 people. And he's facing 135,000. And they're only separated by about two to three miles, these two armies. All right? So, Gideon is being obedient. God said, by your hand... I will deliver Israel. So he raises up this army. He's got a wonderful plan. Sends out the call. 32,000 people answer. He leads them out boldly to go into battle. And, and he's, I'm sure he must be excited. All right, I got these 32,000. Maybe he knew a little bit about the 135,000 he was facing. Maybe he was confident that the Lord was going to give him this victory. But then the Lord steps in and has a little message for him in verse 2. The people who are with you are too many to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has done it. So the odds are not in the Lord's favor. 32,000 to 135,000, the Lord doesn't like those odds. So he's going to go to work and, and whittle this down until the odds are more in his favor. But don't lose sight of this. Gideon has been obedient. He had this wonderful plan. All these people followed him. What's the first thing God does? Changes the plan. How often have we seen that? Right? 
Many times when we see those changes, we start to wonder about the call. Hmm, wait a minute. This isn't how I thought it was going to work out. Is this really you, Lord, calling me? But Gideon doesn't have to ask those questions because, remember, it's already been confirmed for him. So I think that the, the obedience of Gideon through these passages is, is just amazing as we see it unfold. Because he's confident. He just asks, Lord, please tell me if by my hand you're going to deliver. Yes, by your hand. He gives him two signs that he's absolutely going to do this. So Gideon's obedient. He puts out this message. Anyone who's afraid, go ahead and go home. 22,000 people leave. Picture that. Now, now we don't have to, to beat these 22,000 up because later on they're going to answer the call again and, and go and participate later on. As If we were to stay another hour or two, we'd read to those passages. We're not going to, but I, I'll let you know those 22,000 eventually do get involved again. But 22,000 leave, so two-thirds of his army is gone, just gone. They all march away. 22,000 people leaving would have created quite an impact on the rest, right? So now he's down to 10,000. He's got these 10,000, and the Lord says, no, 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 still too many. 10,000 to 135,000, those aren't good odds. So the Lord puts another test. I want you to separate the people into two groups. There's going to be this group who, who takes water and cups it like this, and there's going to be this other group who puts their face down to the water and kind of drinks it that way. So after that test is over, there's two groups of people standing there. One group has 300 people in it. The other group has 9,700, if you do the math, right? So at this point, though, when those two groups are made, from our passage, does Gideon know which group God is going to choose? So, so take a look at when the sifting happens. Verse 4, he says, there's too many. You're going to form these two groups. V verse 5, he brings the people down to the water. Make these two groups, the Lord says, the ones who lap the water and the one who kneel down to drink. Verse 6, there's these two groups standing there, 300, 9,700. If I was Gideon at that point, I was thinking, oh, this was a better test. I still have 9,700 left because he doesn't know which ones are chosen yet. There's just these two groups. So then the Lord gives him the news in verse 700. With this little group over here of 300, I'm going to deliver and give Midianite, the Midianites into your hand. So now the Lord has the odds down to where they're in the Lord's favor. 300 to 135,000. That's, that's something that the Lord can work with. And all through this process, Gideon is obedient. Gideon is trusting the Lord. He's walking with the Lord. Now, if you want to read through the end of chapter 8, you can see the rest of the story. But with those 300, God does, in fact, give them the victory. He absolutely does. He does deliver them. Now, I've heard a lot of people teaching on this passage about the way these different groups of men drank water being and, and trying to find some way to spiritualize it. I don't really think that's the point of this passage. So I don't want us to be distracted by the right way to drink water. I don't think that's what this passage is about. I think really it's about God's faithfulness. Remember, Gideon had asked, Lord, please show me, are you really going to deliver these these Midianites and these Amalekites by my hand. And the Lord answered him. So if we do a little review of all the ways that God had encouraged him, 
Back in chapter 6, verse 16, the Lord said to Gideon, I will be with you. Do I not send you? And then in chapter 6, verse 23, he extends to Gideon the peace of the Lord. Do not fear. And then in chapter 6, verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord clothes Gideon. And then in chapter 7, verse 7, the Lord gives him this confirmation with the 300, I will save you. God had called Gideon, God had gifted Gideon, God had encouraged Gideon, and God himself would give Gideon the victory. That's the message that this passage has for us. So in whom are we trusting? It was clear to Gideon that this whole thing was a work of God. And our walks with Christ are also a work of God. It's the same thing. God is just looking for us to trust in him so that we can be used as his instruments. Now the story of Gideon is just filled with truths that we can apply in so many ways, so many ways that we can be encouraged. I'm going to give us a few of them. First, I want to under, us to understand that God has, in fact, given us a clear set of instructions. It's, it's right here. So if you're confused on what you should be doing for the Lord and what he's called you to do, start reading this every day. There's even a Bible reading plan right outside there if you don't have one. That'll take you through the entire scriptures in a year. So I encourage you to be in the word and be asking the Lord what it is he's calling you to do. We know he is calling you. We know he has gifted you. And now it's just a conversation between you and the Lord to see what that's going to look like for each of us. He certainly wants us to be doing his word. Second, God uses our acts of faith to transform us. We saw that we were seeing that transformation process lived out in Gideon. And, and if we kept reading it, just it's amazing to see how the Lord continues to work in Gideon's life. If we keep our eyes on God and his clear calling, the distractions and circumstances and fears that surround every single one of us, that sometimes prevent us from taking action, they won't have the effect on us. We'll be able to overcome those fears because we remember it's God who's for us, God who is with us, God has called us, and God wants to work in and through us. So remember that process that, that, that Gideon used to defeat fear. He was convinced that God alone is God. I need to be convinced that God alone is God. I need to be confident that God has called me. I need to be trusting in how he's gifted me. I need to take steps of obedience, and then my faith will be increased. And then just repeat the process. And then remember this work that God is doing so that he can be transforming you day by day. Then as those acts of faith are lived out in your life, not only are they going to transform you, they'll transform you around, those around you, those nearest to you. They'll help them, encourage them, and transform them. In this study, we've seen, we saw the transformation in Gideon's father. We saw the transformation in the people of the town, the transformation of the, the ten men who helped Gideon. We also saw the transformation in the 32,000 who originally answered that call. Remember, those 32,000 were living in fear. This enemy had been coming in and wiping them out. 
We also saw how it transformed the 10,000 who weren't fearful. And obviously, the 300 who are actually called and are going to go out and do it, they're going to do some amazing stuff as well. Fourth, from the fleece, we learn that God encourages us and confirms his calling. And our response should be to trust him more. We should spend time with the Lord daily. We should listen for his still small voice. We should obey what he tells us to do and run through that process daily. Believe, obey, worship, hope, and peace. That should mark our lives. And then we should be confident that we, if we ask according to his will, we know that God will answer and provide us with the boldness to act according to his will. So we'll say that again. If we ask according to his will, he provides us the boldness to act according to his will. We have that confidence. And finally, in whom are we trusting? Would these 300 men been enough for you to go and face an army of 135,000? Would, would you be that bold? But remember, this same process that's working in Gideon, it's the same God. It's the same God that we worship. These stories should be just as true for us as they were for Gideon. And I was looking through the, uh, the, the song selection today, talking of, thinking of God's faithfulness. And it's neat because, Jeff, I'm not sure if Jeff does this, but the, the years of the songs are listed down here. The first one we came saying came from 1780. The ones in the middle were from the 2000s, 1990. Then there was one from 1880. So that's like 300 years right there. I mean, and those songs that you sang today spoke directly to your heart. It's the same God. He's faithful. So if we think he's far from us, that's not true. If we think he's not able, that's not true. He is. He's definitely able. God is for us. Who can be against us? He spoke the universe into existence. That power is available for us. He's able to do that which he has called us to do. Think about that statement. He is able to do that which he's called us to do. He's the one that's working in it, in us. He's the one that's going to do that which he called us to do. He just needs an instrument. He needs us to be his obedient instrument so he can work in and through us and just that he may be glorified. That's the idea. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for these stories that stir us up, Lord, uh, to acts of obedience. We thank you for your encouragement. Help us, Lord, to take these truths and apply them to our lives, that we may be transformed, that you may use us to do as you've called us to do, Father. We just thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.